One of the most liberating aspects of existing in a digital age is the fluidity, the malleability of our self-identities. Who we are is what we choose to present. From our bios to our selfies, headshots, tweets and threads, our websites and social media profiles, we could and probably do spend endless days and nights curating a precise presentation to the world. We can literally rewrite our senses of self-identity moment by moment. So what happens when years worth, maybe even decades worth of curated self-identity in the digital space starts to feel hollow or even like a complete misrepresentation of yourself? What happens to our self-identity as our sense of self changes? From the New Story Company, this is The New Story Is, a podcast that explores the stories, perceptions, and ideas that have come to shape the world today as we know it. Along the way, we speak to talented guests who are championing the new stories that may shape our collective future for the good. I'm Dave Ursillo. The liberating nature of curated self-identity in the online space can become a heavy burden full of existential doubts and self-questioning. And that can be particularly lonesome when you're self-employed or your working world exists almost exclusively over the internet. To discuss the evolving nature of self-identity in the online world of self-employment, we're joined today by Shauna Van Bogart. Shauna is a seasoned entrepreneur, mentor, and speaker specializing in helping entrepreneurs and small business owners, especially women, build sustainable service-based businesses. Her passion lies in empowering women entrepreneurs and navigating the complexities of self-identity in the modern internet era. With a background in communications and leadership studies, as well as certification in clinical hypnotherapy, Shona's work as a coach, teacher, and mentor guides clients to align their businesses with their authentic senses of self, fostering financial freedom, fulfillment, and impact along the way. Her work has been featured in the Huffington Post, Mint.com, MSN, and CareerBuilder.com, among other outlets. She is a 40 Under 40 award winner and honored as one of Charleston's most influential women in business. Shauna, welcome to The New Story Is, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. So you started your first full-service image consultancy in South Carolina in 2007. And I want to start here, Shauna, going back to the beginning, back to your, your uh, the start of your entrepreneurial life as we talk about these intersections of like self-identity and self-knowledge with how we show up and serve others, especially because even though it's one of the more liberating aspects to, you know, kind of curate our self-identity online today, I kind of feel like it's also one of the low-key, most under-discussed burdens that is affecting the, maybe the mental health and wellness of a lot of online entrepreneurs today. I take that all the way back to, as I said, your full-service image consultancy in South Carolina in 2007. Could you tell us about what led you into that field of image consultancy and what that work looked like for you now over 15 years ago? So I always had this innate interest and uh, I guess skill set because I was always the go-to person for advice with friends on how to use these built-in tools that we have, whether it's body language or interpersonal skills, what we're wearing to get certain things. So in high school, that was how do I get the boys' attention, you know? And then 
as I was involved in different leadership activities growing up, the areas that I was naturally interested in, especially in the 4-H program and doing different presentations, were everything to do with professional development, etiquette, accessorizing, uh, acing the interview. And so as I got out of school, got out of college, and entered my first uh, job and realized this is not going to work for me, and asked myself, if I could do anything in the world, what could I do? This idea of becoming an image consultant seemed to check all the boxes of my skill sets. And I just had this passion for showing people that they had so much built-in leverage that they could turn into results for themselves if they would invest, if they would invest in their energy, if they would invest in how they portrayed themselves, if they could invest in their communication skills. So at that time, being in a smaller metropolitan area of Charleston, I was the only one in the area that was doing this. And at first, it was very much appearance driven. I had a lot of people coming to me specifically for wardrobe and style. For me, I always saw a much deeper, bigger picture here. And so what was interesting about that time period is I came into the market, the entire online world and professional space was shifting. And, you know, there was not there was not Instagram You know, and if it was, it was very different. But like there was no Facebook pages. LinkedIn was just getting started, I think. I mean, there wasn't this big personal brand online. And so it was a really interesting time to start that business because all of that stuff started to take off and people were having these huge questions about how do I now show up online in addition to the face-to-face interactions and all the networking events, which was the way that we did business back then. We were literally out going to as many networking events as we could. And now everything's transforming to this online space. So it was it was a really interesting thing to sit with and to show people you have this kind of space to almost overthink how you're being portrayed and then to navigate that entire experience of how do we make sure that what people see online is what they're going to get when they meet you face to face at the networking event. Interesting. Yeah, because that's when it all kind of comes home, right? The presentation online, the presentation, whatever you're putting out into the world when you actually get together with people. And then it's like there's this image of you that they're experiencing digitally, remotely. Now they're interacting with you in person. I imagine that can cause quite a few questions, maybe a little bit of anxiety, Mm -hmm. a little bit of inner turmoil, even though the work, as I understand it, Shauna, that you were doing and have been doing with clients is to bring these things into integrity, right? And in, with yep. a, with, guided by a sense of authenticity and alignment. And that's a big part of it too, right? This isn't just posturing and 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 posing, even though I think if we're being um, cynical and maybe sometimes like the cynicism is the cynicism is justified, I think in, so, in many cases these days, um, uh, when we think about kind of like the stereotypical expected like headshots and photo reels and bios that... Um, are just kind of like ubiquitous ubiquitous for online entrepreneurs today can kind of feel like it's all uh, cookie cutter. So tell me about how you would get into a process with your clients, uh, especially those early days when you were kind of like taking inventory and getting a sense of understanding for what they believed in. Did you go to the old, you know, I say old because now I'm dating myself, the quote unquote old model of like the Simon Sinek start with why uh, kind of stuff or starting with like, why do you want to do this in the beginning? to begin with? What are your values? What was the process like for starting with clients in those days? Um, It was, what are we seeking that hasn't been attained? 
I mean, that that was the problem to which they're like, maybe there's some kind of image issue going on here. You know, there was either friction with team members, um, the sales weren't closing the way that they thought, and they weren't getting the kind of conversions. And people are pretty self-aware to know, like, maybe this is a me thing. You know, like, I think my business model is solid. I think that our service is solid. Something about me is not creating this desired transaction of whatever they're seeking. And so when you go down a path of examining image, it is, you know, what's the first impression? What is the impression in the sales conversation? What is the impression of you as a leader then rippling down through your employees? And then is this, you know, an appearance thing? Is this a communication thing? Is this a behavioral thing? So there was a sort of audit I would kind of walk through. You know, and then it was if they're trying to expand their audience and take this to an online space, it was so simple back then. I like yearn for those days. It was, okay. well, let's look at your bio and make sure that it's really in integrity with where you're at and all the results that you've created. Let's make sure that your headshots are conducive to the kind of um, branding that your audience sort of expects to see and creates a sense of trust and credibility within them. And then also at that time, a very important piece of this was to make sure that we captured the humanity of that person as well in the online space, you know, and there was a lot of discussion. I did a lot of talks at that time. I was doing a lot of speaking at that time about the importance of self-disclosure, because when you go to a networking event, you have that chit chat about the weather. And if you have children and what are your favorite restaurants in Charleston, you know, you have that in an online space. All of that was sort of cut out and it just is straight straight to business. And so there was this facet of my work with clients, which was what are some core facets of your being that humanize you? Because it's really important to the credibility and the trust process in cultivating relationships. That's so interesting because I think, you know, I heard you a moment ago, Shauna, describing um, describing things like uh, basically how we express ourselves through like body language, communication, presentation. You mentioned etiquette accessorizing, you know, acing the interview, um, and that the work started off as wardrobe and style. And that to me speaks to, to, and I don't say this in a condescending way, because, you know, these are forms of different forms and varieties of, of communication. Um, it, it's surface, right? Like a lot of it can be surface and mm-hmm. surface presentation. What I'm also hearing you describe though, paradoxically or not, is really deeply interior self-knowledge, self-reflection, and self-awareness. And and the work in that sense, when you're getting to know somebody's interiority feels very, very personal and very intimate to say the least. I know you Mm -hmm. also identified as a highly sensitive person or an HSP, which is, um, which I I do as well. That's something we've bonded over you and I in the past. So how, just how much sensing and feeling and empathy and deep attention does it take to do this kind of work with individuals? Because it's not just about exteriority. There's also this sense of like evoking the interiority and illuminating the inter- interiority as well. Yeah. Let me let me put it in my very simple terms. You know, it's a vibe, right? We pick up on energy of people and their sort of public domain energy that we can feel is how I put it. And again, I, I think I've always been that way. I think being highly sensitive is hand in hand with being deeply empathic and being able to pick up on feelings, emotions, struggles, even 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 
you know, potential within someone that that I sense it as kind of a knowing kind of feeling and just um, and just energy within someone. So over the years, what I see is quite literally being able to capture a person's demeanor, attitude, personality through photos alone. And I mean, I've been doing this now for over 15 years, call it accelerated people reading or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it's not just the wardrobe. There is something that comes off of you in person and online. And I find for me, it's easier to see that in photos. And I think that's why brand photos should have a considerable amount of thought put into them. But this work has also been cultivated through just many, many, many years and uh, the experience of working with people and getting to see the cause and effect of implementing certain things based on what I'm picking up and then seeing that that reaction back. And again, we're, we're looking for those traditional, very basic key points. We're looking for trust. We're looking for credibility. We're looking for a magnetism and a sense of connection with your audience. And when we can kind of take all these things into consideration and you can help clients understand that, you know, we can curate the perfect wardrobe and the, the perfect look on your face, but there's still an energy behind it that really is the thing tethered to people's sense of, I want to hire this person or not, you know? And I think that's that's where everyone's kind of at this place now in the world where we have all of these tools. Now we have AI and we can have these beautiful headshots made up. But where's the humanity? Because we're I think we're all fairly sensitive to a degree and we're all fairly intuitive to a degree and we're pretty sophisticated consumers. And we know when there's a disconnect, like something just seems off, no matter how curated and how professional and how credible it may look, there's a difference between credibility and legitimacy. And a lot of times that can be seen through kind of the energy, the demeanor that's behind the photo. That's a really interesting distinction, the difference between credibility and legitimacy. Because I think for a lot of people, especially when they're starting off, and even if you've been in the online entrepreneurship game for a, a number of years, there's that... Uh, proclivity to fall back on the credibility markers, the credibility, which is a lot of like presentation and ticking boxes and making sure that you have testimonials and doing those those things. You mentioned, Shauna, the sophistication of consumers. And I wonder if you have tracked the specific evolution, the so sophistication, <laughs> to make up a word as I tend to do on this podcast, the, the increasing sophistication of consumers online have you found that it has become more challenging for what whether for for you but specifically for your clients to not only have those like common credibility markers on their websites for their businesses but also to be communicating their legitimacy and and if so how has that become more of a challenge for clients because the market has becoming so, so saturated but also sophisticated what comes up for you Mimicry, which is, dare I say, almost impossible to avoid these days um, without just serious intention and awareness of your actions and, and, and doing the deep work to understand what is my, uh, how am I best connecting with my audience and what are the facets of me within my business that are most conducive to my personal brand to have that connection that's authentic and legitimate. And it is just 
so easy to scroll and see the people in your field, competitors, or maybe they're like, you know, way down down the field than you are. And just to have a default uh, attitude and reaction to that, that is they're doing something right and I'm doing something wrong. So let me just copy what they're doing and do it their way. And so then we just mimic how they do it down to even brand colors and the way our photos look on Instagram with the same filters and assume that's just how we're going to get success because that's how they got success. And so, you know, we we see it in in themes. I mean, and you see it in fashion and everywhere. You know, we have just themes and here's kind of the look that is Instagram these days. Um, and I think it's just really easy to fall into sameness. Um, and so I think the most important work that you can do, which is the most subtle and I think the most challenging work is the work of getting to know yourself, which is an ongoing process because you're always changing. And the more that you stay in tune to who you are and what your most legitimate value add is within your industry and career, you're going to have a better chance of staying in your lane and showing up authentically as you in that magnetic way than falling into a lot of that mimicry. So I I think it's really, really challenging. I mean, I've fallen into it myself totally inadvertently. Most, Most people don't even realize that they've done it. I mean, we're doing it because we're inspired and we really love how we feel in the presence of other people online or offline. And so it's 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 really easy, I think, especially for highly sensitive people. We just kind of take that energy on as well and we can we can lose ourselves. Yeah. And there, I think there's also the elements like there's like a FOMO element of like mm-hmm. it, like just being human, being social, gravitating towards what seems to be working or what seems to be making someone happy, you know, even through Totally. Photos and captions, right? Um, and the word boundaries comes up too. I think, you know, for for me mm-hmm. as a highly sensitive person, I think for highly sensitive people, people with a deep sense of feeling, whether or not you identify or even know what highly sensitive person means, um, highly empathetic, uh, deeply feeling, deeply sensing. Uh, my sense is that our our boundaries with our, in our relationships with others are happen to be maybe more naturally porous, right? There's more holes in them. And so Mm-hmm. almost uh, a proclivity to lose our sense of self among others, especially when we're moving into a space where maybe we have a little bit of imposter syndrome or a little bit of untreated you know, self-doubts or insecurities and, and shame issues and all the things that all of us have as human beings, right? Um, but you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned, oh, oh, let me let you react to that. What comes up for you? Oh, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's very complex. I, I wish that I could say that this is a really, really simple thing. But because the market is so saturated, we have this phone in the palm of our hands to be able to make money. The entire landscape of working from home has changed. Is it possible to make good money online and and show up and be credible and use your identity to wield that into revenue for your family? Absolutely. But to make it in the top 1% and the 1% of the 1%, it's work. Like not not I'm not talking the business tactical side of it. I'm talking about everything you just mentioned, the untreated uh, insecurities or trauma or shame that gets in the way of the kind of identity that it does take to be successful at the kind of levels that you see people online making multimillion dollars or whatever it is or living the kind of life like it it's it's complex in my opinion just as someone who's been down that path because you can so easily fall into 
uh, the mimicry and the imposter syndrome, and then just dulling yourself out or getting in the wrong wheelhouse of your skills and all that because of so much of that untreated uh, shame and and stuff from the past and even business baggage. It doesn't even have to be like childhood trauma or anything like that, but just past experiences. And so it's it's a it's a lot. Like I just feel like I need to do it some service here to be like there's some real deep work around identity that you're only going to do if you're willing to be incredibly vulnerable and radically honest with yourself and have the right kind of mentors and support to challenge you. Yeah, I I appreciate how you specify what it takes to get to the like 1% of the online entrepreneurship because the social media used to be a meritocracy. Like when, when you got into social media and you mentioned like, you know, or, you know, when social media was starting to blow up 2007, 2008, 2009, before algorithms started to push people's behaviors and mostly I would say because of out because of advertising revenue, when when Facebook and and Twitter and Google really needed to blow up their their advertising dollars and their revenue and become these multi 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 billion dollar global corporations, which they've done exceedingly well, um, there was a sense that there was meritocracy on in the online space where attention was was more or less. I mean, you could still you could there was still a system behind the scenes, right? But your follower count was proportionate to the attention that you had from people. And that's completely changed. But there's still this idea for a lot of folks that do it like um, that, that it, it just comes down to those credibility markers, right? That you mentioned earlier, that showing up in a certain way and presenting certain things and being a good person or being like proficient or efficient in what you do gets you what you are looking for. But what I heard you describe there, Sean, is like there's an entire job that it takes to get the work. And then there's the work itself that you're trying to do with clients. So it's almost like there's implicitly two or more jobs to be a self-employed online entrepreneur. And then maybe there's a third job too, which is your your inner work and your self-work and your self, self-understanding. And that's where I kind of want to take things next with you, Shauna, because that's that's how we set up this episode and what we're kind of getting on. You mentioned that the most important thing, perhaps, is getting to know yourself. Mm-hmm. And also, there's that caveat of like, well, we're also always changing. So taking it back to your story, you know, we started off talking about uh, 2007 uh, with the image consultancy. I understand that after four years, so come 2011, you started creating uh, training resources for aspiring consultants. And uh, this company called the Studio for Image Professionals expanded into more than 30 countries. Then eventually you get into the personal development industry, the personal development space, and then with growth-oriented entrepreneurs, kind of like we're talking about here, folks who are not only interested in growing a business, but kind of like growing themselves along the way or just finding that they kind of need to um, understand themselves more and more in order to kind of be on the edge of their own, um, being on the edge of their own learning and growth is a part of the business equation for an authentic, authenticity based business. I imagine you did a whole lot of learning and growing and evolving over those years. And I wonder if you could tell us about that experience, you know, in so few words, we could probably talk about it for hours. And specifically, how did you know when it was time to make these changes to your career, especially when it seems, again, from the outside looking in, like 
everything you were doing was so successful. So how did you know that it was time to move on, to shift, to grow, and presumably to honor those identity changes? Hmm. That, uh, that skill of knowing when it's time to move on and pivot or upgrade, up-level, whatever you want to call it, I learned through failure on the front end because I hung on to a vision far longer than its expiration date. And it was my first business, which was that image consultancy. And I I think the tendency of a highly sensitive person especially is to make yourself wrong by default whenever something's going wrong or there's friction. And so it took me a long time to understand the truth of what was happening, which is that ever since I was little, I burned through things pretty quickly. And instead of owning that, I started shaming myself that things were stagnating like three years into my business and thought it was a me problem. And then I realized, no, I had kind of outgrown that business. And instead of realizing that, I kind of forced it for about another year and a half, if not closer to two years, when I should have been examining what's next. And I just was so hung up on the vision that I had set on day one, which was so strong, especially as a first time business owner. And I was very young and very ignorant, blissfully ignorant. And I just thought that if I pivot or change, it's failure. You know, now I see it completely different. But it was so painful trying to force that thing out of stagnation that eventually it just kept getting worse and worse and worse that I just had to throw my hands up and go, you know, surrender. And it wasn't until I fully surrendered that I realized, oh, I don't want to be here anymore, which was really difficult and very confusing in my head because it was my baby at the time. Right. And it was it was this vision that was a part of my identity for so long and it was painful and 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 made me feel like I was wearing like a business a size or two too small. And so it just felt very constricting and there was grieving that was letting go of that facet of my identity to make space for what was what was next. So I learned then and kind of committed then to not only realizing that I am a person who when I dive into something, I burrow pretty deep into mastery very quickly. And I do just kind of burn through things very fast and I have to I have to keep up with myself. And that means getting the moving parts of my business, you know, in place at every iteration point. Now I'm not talking like every year I'm changing, but it's kind of like I would go into something, I would spend 3 to 4 years there and then it was like time for what's next. So from that point forward, I started to realize a pattern of when I started to feel like I was outgrowing something. And one of the first symptoms that came up was a form of contempt. And it would show up either at my industry or what I was seeing from other colleagues in the industry online. And I want to be clear, it was never actually aimed at anyone. It's just more of a symptom that like something's out of alignment now. I would get you know, frustrated over small things or questions that would come in from my audience. And that was so unlike me. And so now I know if I start to feel just like this odd annoyance or just trivial frustration over questions or I'm getting fired up about things I'm seeing in my industry, that's a major sign to step back and pause and ask myself, what has changed within my vision that now I need to readjust and renegotiate moving forward. I want to zoom in, Shauna, specifically on that idea of contempt and that symptom of contempt, because what I heard and where I just started to trail off 
in my own in my own little mind in my own little imagination was burnout. The word burnout came up for me when yeah. I heard contempt. Right. Yeah. Um. In in my mental health studies these days, I'm 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 hearing a lot about symptoms of burnout and the constellation of symptoms that we kind of group under this uh, condition called burnout. And what I'm so fascinated by in that sense, I'm going to tie into this conversation, this idea of contempt. But you mentioned it's not like a pure like anger towards people, but there's something symptomatic coming from you and you're noticing mm-hmm. it because it sounds like, well, this isn't this isn't who I am as a person. And you're kind of catching yourself in a loop or a cycle and then being like, what is what is this? Why am I feeling this way about these things that I'm you're- looking at? And they're the same people or the same things that now appear differently to me or, or the emotions that are being evoked in me are different. And this reminds me of burnout because uh, there, there have been clinical studies that show that symptoms of burnout also include not only like anger and contempt, but changes to our worldview. Mm-hmm. When we're real, like when people are experiencing burnout, it can actually make you think differently of the world, not like yourself and like what's worth, what's worth living for. Like it can alter your value system. It's like really deeply yeah. existential stuff. And that's, yeah. and I wonder if that resonates with you when you're thinking about that pattern of contempt that you noticed um, which sounds like it was an early warning bell that yep. you might have been on the edge of burnout and needing a change. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, imagine trying to squish yourself in a box every day and and just the energy and exhaustion that comes from doing that. And, you know, for me with image consulting, there's such a stereotype to that and a bit of a box in and of itself where I felt like I couldn't even go out in public without looking a certain way. And that's just not me. Like I'm a, I'm a fairly casual person. Um, and so, you know, the idea that I need to look a certain way because of my job title started to feel very constrictive. And it was like at that time, just to use this as an example, in the space of image consulting, the top leaders in that industry were very much about this rule book of professionalism that is no tattoos can be seen and no piercings. This And it just uh, I just I, I couldn't I, like could not stand it. I, I just was like, so we're giving people this prescription to basically like strip away all of their authenticity. And that's supposed to be what translates to professionalism. And again, I understand uniform and corporate spaces and all of that. But it just started to feel very, very restricting and against my values, which was a a fairly abrupt shift because I did not feel that on the front end. You know, so it it was very conflicting because I didn't know on the front end that that was a shift of values. I thought, okay, I'm failing. Um, I I need to just work harder at implementing these rules. And it ju- it just like it, it was like oil and vinegar. Like I just uh, oil and water, oil and vinegar. What is <laughs> whatever? Oil and water. Like, oil, I don't oil think and oil water. and vinegar mix either. But that, it's, I, I don't know. I'm in the mood came. for a salad suddenly. There you go. But no, like it did not mix with me. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I mean, that that was such a wonderful lesson for me, that time period, because now it is so easy for me to, oh, I'm experiencing these sensations. And yes, I would definitely say it's part of the burn, the umbrella of burnout. And to me, again, it's a cue just to pause. Let me step back. What do I value right now? And a lot of times it's the way in which I'm doing something. So my pattern in my career has been high touch, 
And then I pivot into like more of an entrepreneurial scalable season. And then I go back to high touch. And then I go back to more of a scalable season. And so for me, a lot of times it's, okay, I'm burned out because I've been so high touch. And now I need to look at doing things differently. So what does that mean? Do I need a different business model? Do I need different systems? Do I need different whatever? But it starts, as you said, by kind of renegotiating what those values are. Um, I don't even think you need to understand why they shifted. You just need to know, like, what do you value now? Yeah. And you took the words right out of my mouth, Shauna, because where I was taking or hearing you was like, oh, maybe this is symptomatic of burnout. But it was, and it sounds like maybe there was there was a part of that, like you were burning out on that work. But it also sounds like it was, you were you were moving on. You had moved on and you were realizing that you had moved on too. So there was, you outgrew it. You had changed your values, what you valued in life or as a business person or both had evolved past the point where the work you were doing felt like it was honoring to who you were. And I imagine that's an even perhaps even bigger burden for somebody because we get into this space where we self-identify with our work and see ourselves in the work that we do, which is a real it's a real it's a it's like super American. It's a very it's a very, very American thing. Um, and we could talk about how insidious that can be in some ways when we kind of like lose ourselves for the work that we do and what happens when we lose the work or we retire and then there's this existential crisis that occurs. But but in a sense, there's also a real gift and a lot of privilege in being able to self-identify with the work you do in the world. Like what an incredible gift it is to be like, I care about how I make money so much more than just the money and how I connect with others or serve others or try to make the world a better place in some way or just because of the joy of being able to connect with people, work with people. Wow, which I definitely resonate with. That existential crisis element. I'm curious about you answered how it felt for you with clients that you're working with these days. Are there are there a, a cluster of symptoms or signals that they seem to present to to you when you're working as a coach and a mentor? Um, we mentioned like that the constellation of like burnout symptoms, but how? Is it just about helping them to realize that they have outgrown or moved on from the work or the work has moved beyond them? And where do you take things next? Is it, do you distill it down back to like, okay, like who are you now? Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is I follow the exact same framework that I did back from day one in my image consulting days. If I were to do a closet edit, we have to go in and we have to remove the things that are no longer valid first before we do anything else. We don't rearrange what's there. So it's the exact same process and has been from day one in terms of transformation, which I'm that's kind of specifically my zone. We have to make space first and foremost. You do that when you first have sort of a prescription of of rules that you've agreed to Um, those we could also call the the new values. Here's what's going to stay in my life. So it sort of filters that things need to pass through to earn its spot. And there is this attitude that we step into from the moment we begin this process when there's all this friction to like, how do I get out of this and find my clarity? We commit to things earning its spot in your life. And that's a really great attitude to adopt because it forces you to really look at what is most important and most conducive to who you are now. And there's an empowering feeling to like having things earn a spot in your life. And when they 
when clients come to me, not only are they experiencing that contempt, but a lot of times they're mistakenly saying I'm overwhelmed. And that's not the case because they're actually underwhelmed. They're bored and they're creating drama. And so they're, I'm, I'm meeting with these incredibly talented, intelligent, empowering people. And one of the biggest signs that an evolution has happened that they haven't yet caught up with is drama over stuff that is such small potato issues. And you're kind of like, why are you getting into all this? This isn't who you are. Like, why are you getting obsessed with what this competitor is doing? That's not you, you know? And so we find ourselves getting in the weeds on these just, I'm going to frankly say stupid things. And it's because we we don't see that we've evolved and we need to catch up with it. And so we just get into all these weird dynamics. And so I kind of am this person who can come in and like throw it all off the table and go, we have a blank slate here. It has nothing to do with any of that. This has to do with you, where you're at, what's most important to you right now. And what do we need to get off the table permanently and or what really needs to be delegated or streamlined? But a lot of times in this process, there's a bold decision or a confrontation even or conversation that needs to happen with a significant stakeholder in their life, usually there's some big decision that has to be made. And they know it on some level, but that tends to be one of the first things that happens when we make space is like, what is the big decision that you've been dragging your feet on? And usually it's a closing of a business, an ending of a partnership, perhaps like a business partnership, um, removing certain services or offerings that they had, or perhaps even um, letting go of an entire audience sector that they just don't care to be working with anymore. Fascinating. So, man, where do I, where do I even go with that? So there's this, there's this idea that there's a confrontation that maybe they're avoiding <laughs> and that is still, it's causing them so much stress or anxiety rather than dealing with the source. <laughs> like you said, if it's... Um, if it's a, a business offering or a relationship in their personal life or maybe in their business life that Remember. they need to confront and face, but instead they're kind of redirecting their stress and anxiety by yeah. fixating on things that are actually not solving the core problem that's holding yeah. them back. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times the story that I hear, whether they consciously will say it or not, you can feel it off of them is it's going to be such a big thing to close this business down. It's going to be such an overhaul if I have this conversation, I mean, we on the front end will make mountains out of molehills. But on the other side of that big decision, we look back and go, was it intense? Perhaps. But it wasn't as bad as I made it out to be. So it's it's change. I mean, we're talking about a change is needed and we live in a human body that pushes against change and understanding that really it's just about change and we're going to make it a big deal. We perhaps are going to kick up a lot of drama. Um, but once we get there and make it, we look back and go, oh, I should have done that a lot sooner. Yeah. I'm hearing a very kind of like, uh, not to culturally appropriate, but a very like Zen kind of approach, uh, a very detached, a practice of detachment, of, of releasing mm -hmm. expectations and letting stories kind of fall by the wayside, which is a lot more work, as you're saying, Shauna, than just like letting something go. But there, there's this element of having to acknowledge the thing first and making a choice or a decision about it before the letting go, the mm -hmm. release can happen. 
You mentioned uh, several times in the course of our conversation today that what can follow in that decision-making process is grief. And I wonder if you could speak to the fallout from the decision being made. You did say that oftentimes we, when I, I'm, I, you're preaching to the choir, <laughs> I wish we'd worked together it's like 10 plus years ago when, and you could have given me a roadmap for expecting these things to happen uh, yeah. with my business. But there's, we make mountains out of molehills. We redirect our stress and anxiety to other things and fixate on things that maybe don't actually deserve as much attention. When we make those big decisions, it can be difficult, but oftentimes it feels like, oh, there's, there's more ease, there's more room, there's more space afterwards. I imagine there's also grief and mourning for the no. loss too. Um, tell us about that. Well, it's a comfort zone. Right. I mean, you you build up this identity, you project into the future, you play it out and you perhaps do that, especially as an entrepreneur, day after day, month after month for years, you have this vision of what could be and you build an entire worldview around this career path that you've started on. So when the career path shifts and you branch off this direction, it's a complete disruption of an entire worldview that you have curated in your being and in your mind. And everything's attached to that as an entrepreneur, uh, your sense of freedom, the flexibility of your schedule, what that means to your family. And if you're a parent, then um, the, the time you have with your children, I mean, everything's attached to it. And recently, as I've made a pivot into my next season, I've spent the past six, seven years in a very high touch coaching, performance coaching capacity. I've I have a lot of identity being that role for people and being that role for a very specific audience that I have curated over the past five to six years. The idea of letting that go is kind of a, you know, like it's a leap and it's a leap into this unknown space where you do kind of wander a bit in a void and you have to get to know yourself again. It's not that you are completely lost by any means, but as I'm moving through it right now and letting go of the identity that was the past six years of performance coaching and setting that aside, and now I'm moving back into more of a scalable, basically starting a, a different business all over, but with all of the wisdom and expertise that, I've, that I'm bringing to the table, I have that to anchor me, but it is this blank canvas that for some people, myself included, is not the most comfortable space to be in. Because I just I'm just not a blank canvas kind of person. I like to build off of and refine what's what's there and optimize. So it it's it's just the unknown. Um, and I, I think that that is a big piece of the the self growth. Um, I don't know how anyone becomes successful without mastering the unknown. It is such an important important milestone um, that I'm sure continues to unfold. But finding comfort in that unknown space has to be, in my opinion, one of the tenets of like solid self-agency. And so I just I guess I, what I'm saying is like expect a void where you kind of feel aimless and identityless and find as much comfort and actually, dare I say, magic as you can in that space. Does that make sense? It does. I love the idea of finding magic in that space, finding, because what I hear you describing in a sense, I can kind of translate it into, uh, into the creative realm where I've told clients countless times, what is the difference between uncertainty and freedom? They're essentially the same thing, 
looked at it in a different way. We fear uncertainty. We refer to uncertainty in certain terms. We avoid uncertainty. We're uncomfortable with uncertainty. But isn't freedom just that? Freedom is uncertain. Like the freedom of choice that we that we want to have to express ourselves, to experience life is perpetually uncertain. They're basically mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin. And it's not only perspective shift, but I think that is an important part to, to look at things a little differently. And like you said, Shauna, to find an element of, of magic, of fulfillment, of possibility, of potentiality to what is now unknown and changing and moving. Because really, as mortal beings, as mortal creatures, I mean, everything is always perpetually uncertain, but it is our mm-hmm. stories, our perceptions, our ideas, which are the major focus of this show, that give us a sense of solace mm-hmm. and certainty and comfort and identity, right? Um, and when it come, and what I'm hearing and taking away from this conversation is that how we express ourselves through business or how we express ourselves through life or how we express ourselves on social media ties back into this need for our stories to feel representative of who we know ourselves to be. And it sounds like that is a, there's always going to be opportunities for changing those stories, but there's times in life, whether it's through, you know, loss, through death, through um, disability, through a major, major change, um, or the need to recognize a major change coming in a change of relationship, a big move, uh, a business that's not working out according to plan or those other constellation of symptoms we talked about, right, of feeling um, resentments and, and frustration and um, avoidance, that those prompt the stories to be rewritten. That's what I'm taking away from this conversation. How about you? This might be a departure, so feel free to rein us in, but I think it's helpful to look at it as chapters. Um, of a of a grand book that is your life, and it's easier to close a chapter, I think, and to think about it that way in my head, and to understand another chapter is about to start and is about to be written, and so it's a nice concise way to know where necessary completion cycles need to occur, and then also you know a a ritual of sorts to release whatever needs to be released and leave it in the past, and what's coming to mind as you're talking is just even even the healing journey. And before you would embark on some kind of self-healing because of things that have occurred in your life, you know, you maybe are in an identity of avoiding all of that, right? And you can successfully do that for quite some time, right? Um, To a degree. And then let's say you decide, you know what, I'm going to embark on this chapter of healing and you go in and you do this, the deep self-work to work on the things that are open wounds. And what's coming to mind for me and why I'm bringing that up is I think it's difficult just to use it as an example to know when that chapter has closed. And it's the same kind of dynamic where you do all of the things and then you do start to see the evidence of changed behavior in yourself and your responses to how things play out. You're not as triggered as you used to be or whatever. And you got to know when that chapter closes too, because moving from a healing space into a that's done. I'm no longer carrying the tethers of trauma and associating everything back to the way my nervous system is wired and, oh, I'm anxious because of this and blah, blah, blah. Like eventually that chapter closes and you move into a different identity, which is the person who has successfully become whole again related to that. And so I guess I'm bringing that up as an example because as I 
have worked with clients on that most recently, there is an awkwardness to that shift because for a season, all they know is a person in healing who is getting to know themselves in their trauma, in their shadow on such a deep level. And it's incredibly empowering. But you'll start to know when you stay in that space past its expiration date as well, because you'll 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 feel the new symptoms. And whenever I encourage a client to say, you know what, let's draw this line and you've done the work and let's pretend that you don't know anything about the trauma that occurred in the past. We're just bringing with the wisdom and the experience in your fully healed self. How would you show up and respond to these circumstances? And what's interesting is that they no longer are tying every physical symptom or every mental symptom of you know, anything that comes up to like, oh, gosh, there's my nervous system. It's dysregulated and all of that. It's just we can kind of create a blank slate and kind of approach this new season with curiosity. And I think that's important to these chapters closing and beginning is when you're in this void and you're in this unknown space, it's going to feel awkward because you had these things to lean on. And now instead of leaning on that, you have to lean into curiosity and act as if you don't know anything from the past. So that's just kind of how I've uh, not so succinctly like helped clients move through that space, but to give them the permission that this is going to feel awkward for a moment because you're you're moving into a totally different pace and movement with yourself in terms of how you're showing up. So I, I think I don't know why my mind went to just healing, but I see that a lot as well in terms of shifting identity when that season is done and then you've got to like be your whole self. Shauna Van Bogart. She's an entrepreneur, mentor, and speaker. You can find Shauna and her latest offerings over at her website. It's shaunavanbogart.com. That's S-H-A-U-N-A-V-A-N-B-O-G-A-R-T.com. We'll also have a link in the show notes. Shauna, thank you so much for this very rewarding, fulfilling conversation, for talking to us about your own story and how you help others through their new stories. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The New Story Is. My name is Dave Ursillo. We're so happy that you're here. We hope you're enjoying and benefiting from these intellectually stimulating, cerebral conversations. Uh, we also hope you find them uplifting and entertaining in their own way, too. If you're enjoying our work, please share this podcast with a friend or leave us a rating and review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. You could just click through, see where it says the new story is with Dave Orsillo. Scroll down to the bottom on Apple Podcasts and give us that five-star rating to help others know that our work is truly worth listening to. And we thank you for your support. Until next time, my friend, thank you again for listening. Story on. Stay well. Bye for now.